KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Brian Seltzer. I'm Sabrina Boyd Circa. It's February 1st, 2022. Wake up, it's the first of the month, and here in the city of Philadelphia, it's a holiday for public school kids today. Lunar New Year. Happy Lunar New Year. I did not know that Lunar New Year was a school holiday, and it turns out this is the first year in Philadelphia. I love that. I love that we're bringing in more diverse holidays. A very diverse city, that beautiful Chinatown here in the city of Philadelphia. There, that We have such a really vibrant Asian-American community and Asian community here in the city. So for them to be recognized like this on Lunar New Year, and plus... Everybody loves a day off of school. Nobody's going <laughs> to complain about it getting a day off of school for whatever the reasons. And speaking of schools, behind the scenes, there's a lot at stake in the school district of Philadelphia right now. As Dr. William Height, the school superintendent, is set to leave this summer and the search for his replacement is on. I just keep thinking uh, my mom just started as the superintendent in a small town district in Massachusetts. I cannot imagine the undertaking that this role is, and they really need to find the right person. Well, for better or worse, guys, there's over 400 applicants for this position, which is a massive number. So it tells you that there's definite interest and intrigue for this job for many reasons. Hopefully they settle on the right person. And guess what? Applications are still open. Yes, you, you podcast listener out there, you could apply. Just Google Philadelphia School District Superintendent and you will find the application is right there. So if you have some good ideas and perhaps just a little bit of experience with the right resume, maybe you could be the superintendent of the school district of Philadelphia one day. Maybe I will send that application to my mom after all. I'm, I'm just saying. Might as well throw her hat in the ring. I mean, you, you miss you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. And we'll talk about this superintendent opening with KWW's education reporter, Mike DiNardo. He'll join the John cast for the first time. But it's not just about the school superintendent today. Today's February 1st. So that means this is also day one of 28 of Black History Month. This year also marks Harriet Tubman's 200th birthday. She was born all the way back. In 1822, my math was almost off there, 1822, and the city of Philadelphia is having a huge celebration for one of the great icons of American history. Yeah, there are going to be all kinds of celebrations all month, but it's starting with this statue that's been up at City Hall. Our community impact reporter Raquel Williams was there for the reveal in January. Philadelphia vocalist Valerie Gay kicked off the event with a fitting musical tribute of Wade in the Water and Go Down Moses. The statue of abolitionist human rights advocate and hero Harriet Tubman, which features her leading a child to freedom, is exemplary of the bold, fearless, courageous life she led, freeing enslaved people in the face of much opposition. Sculptor Wesley Warford says there's a huge cultural diversity gap in the nation's collection of statues. And I think that's starting to be corrected, and I think we're going to see more of that. You know, these statues need to represent all of us, not just one side of the story. So uh, her addition is the beginning of that. So this statue is going to be up through March 31st. There are other exhibits, movie screenings, some virtual discussions and events, music, dance, all that kind of stuff, celebrating, uh, going all the way through Black History Month, Women's History Month, and then Harriet Tubman's birthday is in March. The exact date is actually unknown, which isn't that surprising when you think about documentation that far back, but it is sometime in March and it's 200 years and that deserves some celebration. It's just incredible, to be honest. And that statue, for anybody who's walked past it or seen it, 
it, it's a beautiful site, and in a way, it's also kind of jarring when you look at the detail of it and knowing that the city of Philadelphia has been incorporated into this. It's a wonderful way to start Black History Month. Harriet Tubman is one of the many figures in black history, but she's also amongst the most important as well. Pfizer this morning is asking the FDA for approval for, for its vaccine for kids ages six months to five years. You know, trying to close up that gap in kids being able to get vaccinated against against COVID. So, Brian, got to ask you the obvious question as the resident dad here on the John cast. Are you ready to get your kids vaxxed up? What was Stone Cold Steve Austin's most famous line? <laughs> Can I get a hell yeah? <laughs> yes. Yes, I'm ready. I think my kids are ready, too. I'll be honest. I think, I think the Seltzer kids are ready, too. Now, the big thing here, and one of the reasons why this didn't move along a few months earlier, is this matter of doses. How many doses is the right amount for kids that are that young? Because the first batch of tests that came back from Pfizer, two doses didn't seem like they were effective enough, so it seems like they're going to try and get three. But based on what's being reported now, the thinking, I certainly can't dispute this thinking, is even if three doses are required, why not start doing the research on the effects of the first two? So that if a third is indeed needed, guess what? You have two shots in the arm and it'll be less of a wait to get your third. So I am all about that thinking. Our adults got our two shots and then they said you need a third one down the line. And most of us, not most of us, but a lot of us have gotten that booster. Kids can do the same. It's just like when you get vaccinated against Tetris. Tetris. Did I just say Tetris? I just said you get vaccinated against Tetris as opposed to getting vaccinated against Dr. Mario. You're getting vaccinated against Tetris. Tetanus, the MMR vaccine, or or when you get the now there's a chicken pox vaccine. Some of us, we, we didn't have a chicken pox vaccine as kids, but now you have that. You've got the tetanus shots. You've got kids getting all sorts of HPV shots when kids get to be teenagers. Just toss this into the into the grouping of vaccines a kids see as they get older. It's really not that difficult of a call. And the thing is, three shots on the surface might sound like a lot, but for anyone who's been through it, when your kids are first born, they're at the doctor every couple of months getting a series and series of shots. So to me, at least the way I look at it, three shots for the greater good. Sorry, Seltzer kiddos. We'll just have to bribe you with lollipops or whatever the heck else we need to do. Meanwhile, Moderna has had their vaccine fully officially FDA approved, which is great, but they are marketing it under what I think is the weirdest name of all of them. They're calling it SpikeVax. That almost sounds like a like a derisive name for the vaccine. I mean, I had to be reminded that the Pfizer one is called Comirnaty because I heard it during a promo while I was on the air doing a newscast, I was like, wait, that's right. They do call that thing community, don't they? And I'm they? glad you said it because I still don't know if I can pronounce it. So it's one thing for a name to be hard to pronounce, community, Omicron, Omnicron, whatever. But SpikeVax sounds like off-putting. I don't think that's Spike, what we want. SpikeVax sounds like a, like, a, like a Decepticon in the Transformers. It's just like it sounds like, a, like some sort of movie villain. It's a... I'm Does, thinking of all the jokes I can come up with for Spike Vax. <laughs> Spike Vax sounds like something a James Bond villain would want to put in water. Like, what, what are we, what are we looking at Does anyone know what the shape of the RNA vaccines look like? Like, are they spiky? Is that where it comes from? It's interesting. I'm sure that there were probably some market meetings that they just kept bouncing things off the wall. And, and that's the one and that stuck. That's the, that's the one that stuck. They, you just you keep shooting and that's the shooter shoot. And apparently that's the shot that they landed on for some reason, man. That's very interesting. So, yes, we have commodity from Pfizer and Moderna has 
Spike Vax. I wonder if Tom Brady is going to dabble in developing pharmaceuticals now with all the time that he's going to have on his hands. The key to defying ageism, the key to defying getting older and just having one freaking heck of a football career. Hard for me to say, Jay and Sabrina, it is because he dashed the Eagles' hopes back in the Don of McNabb era in 2004-2005. But even though Tom Brady is retiring after a remarkable run in the NFL with just about every relevant quarterback record you could ever imagine and seven Super Bowl rings, there will only be one team that was the last team to beat him in a Super Bowl, and that is your team, your town, your Philadelphia Eagles. It's just stunning to think about because he's 44 years old. He's played 22 years in the NFL, won seven championships. He won as many Super Bowl rings on his own as the Pittsburgh Steelers have as a franchise to give it, to give an idea. This guy's been in the league forever. And I feel like we've heard this before. Like, haven't there been rumors about him retiring in the past? Like, I can't believe it finally happened. I thought he was going to go to the grave playing football. He talked about playing till he was 50. He wanted to, he'd actually thrown around the idea of playing to like 45, playing to 50. And I don't know what it was, but something changed. But he got out of there with seven rings. It's not eight because of a certain team that wears, <laughs> that wears green here in the city of Philadelphia. Kind of wish him nothing but the best here. And, of course, we talk about that and so many other headlines. You just go to our website, kywnewsradio.com. And just how important is it for a school district to get the hiring of their next superintendent right? Well, KYW's education reporter Mike DiNardo is going to join us to talk to us about what it could mean for the school district of Philadelphia and the city of Philadelphia as a whole. That's coming up on the JohnCast. I'm Jay. I'm Sabrina. I'm Brian. And this is the John Cast. There are more than 200,000 kids who go to public school in the city of Philadelphia. Perhaps one of them is yours. But the district's only got one superintendent, and right now, they're trying to hire a new one. So here to tell us about the search for Dr. William Height's replacement is KYW News Radio's education reporter, Mike DiNardo. Welcome to the John Cast. Good to have you on today with us, sir. I would say it's always great to be here, but this is the first time I've been on the John cast. <laughs> welcome into our new digs, sir. And somebody will be getting welcomed into the new digs will be whoever this new superintendent is. Mike, we know that more than 400 people have applied for this gig. Now, what do we know about this? And I guess what can you tell us about the type of people who are trying to be Philadelphia's next school superintendent? Well, they have uh, some things in common and they have uh, some differences. Uh, the things that all of the people have applied have in common is that they all have some sort of education experience. They all have led major organizations or institutions, and they all have been working with diverse communities. This is information that is coming from the, the Philadelphia School Board that released a snapshot of the people who have applied. I talked with the board vice president, Leticia Ahia Hinton, yesterday, who said that people who are applying for this job mirror Philadelphia in their diversity. Uh, so far, 64% of the people who want to be superintendent are Black, 14% uh, are Hispanic, 7% are white, 21% uh, are women, 71% are men. That doesn't add up to 100 because not everyone has identified as a man or a woman. Most of the people who are applying are from the northeastern United States, 43 percent, uh, like 15 percent from the south. So you have a good, a good cross section of people who are interested in becoming the next superintendent. 
So that's a pretty deep pool that we're looking at. How do you narrow that down to get to a point where you have one person who can take over a district as large and as diverse as Philadelphia's? It does seem like an overwhelming prospect, right? Uh, But uh, the board has some direction. Uh, The school board, uh, after Superintendent Height announced he was leaving uh, last fall, they asked the public, they said, what do you want to see in a superintendent? And essentially, they got the answer that they want someone who has educational experience, who has dealt with diverse communities, someone who has an eye toward equity. So using those, uh, those factors, the board is going through those 400 resumes and uh, essentially coming up with a short stack of uh, a smaller list of people uh, who they want to interview. Now, just how many? We don't know. Uh, the board hasn't said how many uh, people are in that smaller group. But once there is a smaller group, then they will be interviewed and they'll get down to the final two candidates. And those two candidates will have a chance to have their names known and the public will get a chance to meet them probably sometime in late March uh, before the board makes their final decision. Mike, I don't have kids, so I'm not really connected with the school district. You're like my best connection to the Philadelphia school district. (laughs) So for those of us who don't really know that much about it, how much power does the superintendent have? Obviously, this is a big decision. A lot is going into it. Why is it such a big deal and so important, even if you're not a parent, just for people in the city? Well, the the superintendent is basically in in charge of a three and a half billion dollar budget for the school district. That person has the power to chart the educational direction of the city, choosing personnel, negotiating with labor unions, deciding which charters to be approved or not to be approved, uh, with, of course, the consideration and approval from the school board. But think of it as the president who proposes legislation to the Congress for approval. You know, the superintendent does that. The superintendent is the public face of the school district. Uh, So he's or she is the one who gets the credit when test scores go up or takes the heat when they find asbestos in a school building. So that person is the the public face of, of the district and who gets all the credit and all the blame. Now, I think there's another part of this story that we got to talk about, too, is that there's a recruiting firm that's also kind of working as the point person on this search, too. And it's not just a city government entity or something of that nature. Yeah, it's uh, the firm Isaacson Miller. They are collecting names, essentially. Um, The the school board will make the ultimate decision uh, of who to hire. But using that feedback process that we talked about before from last fall, the school board developed a job description and they presented that job description to Isaacson Miller, the search firm. And in December, they posted that on their website online, describing the job of superintendent of Philadelphia. So they are collecting names. They have passed those 400 names or so on to the school board. And uh, the board, as we said, is in the process of uh, calling that list and coming up with the folks who who they want to interview. Mike, if I have any strength, I think it's that I'm very good at mishearing things. So I certainly don't want to misinterpret what you said earlier, but do you see a scenario in which perhaps someone who does not have some sort of very extensive 
educational background could fill this position, someone who maybe checks the box of a public-facing figure who has success managing a, a very broad and large corporation that's had to balance budgets, that sort of thing. Could you see a world in which that could be an outcome here? Maybe, but I think it's a long shot. The board has not said that they are going to strictly hire a superintendent who has traditional uh, educational skills running a school district. Uh, They said they would consider someone who uh, is out of the box. But this is my personal opinion, Brian. I, I don't think that the district would do that. There's just too much on the line. There's too much at stake. And I suspect that the, the, the board will probably uh, hire a, a superintendent uh, who is more toward the traditional leader that we've come to know as opposed to someone out of the box who came from the business world who had no educational experience. Again, that's just that's just my take. Mike, I think we've asked you this question before when they were starting the search, but I still have to ask, we're talking about how monumental of a job this is. 400 people applied. What makes 400 people want to do this job? Is it just the salary? Is there some a bigger picture thing? Salary, I mean, Superintendent Height makes $337,000 a year. That may be part of it. But most people in education, you will find really do care about the children and really do feel like they can make a difference in one way or another. Uh, and and it's that that passion that comes through. Maybe they want to see the district become better. They want children to, to learn more. To be the face of a, a big school district is, is certainly an attractive job. And whoever this person is, they're inheriting a district that has a lot of challenges. So do you think they'll be able to even make a change in things? And what are some of the big issues that a new superintendent is facing when they come through that door in a few months? Can they make a change in things? Yes. Uh, I mean, the, the leadership and direction and the perception that someone is in charge and cares and can do things, I mean, that can go a long way. What will that person have to deal with? Oh, gee, where do we begin? Uh, I mean, they have to start with dealing with students who have emerged from, what, two years of having their education disrupted by the pandemic, not only the academic losses, but the, the social and emotional issues that are still playing out. That person will have to deal with a budget. You have the, the, the one-time federal COVID relief that is coming in. How do you spend that wisely so that when it runs out, you know the district is not left in the lurch? The new superintendent is also inheriting a stock of school buildings that are, uh, on average, something like 70 years old. Many of them have had maintenance issues, uh, deferred maintenance that hasn't been done for years to the tune of four and a half billion dollars by the district's latest estimate. So there are plenty of challenges for this new person to tackle once uh, he or she comes in. Now, we're talking about his replacement, but we haven't talked a lot about the outgoing superintendent, Dr. William Height. Give us a little bit of info on Superintendent Height and what he's planning on doing now that he's on his way out. Well, he's been with uh, Philadelphia for, it'll be for 10 years. And where is he going? He is going to be the president and CEO of an educational nonprofit based in Cincinnati called KnowledgeWorks. They help educators, K-12 educators, with personalized learning strategies uh, with an emphasis on equity. And that's something that the superintendent has emphasized, uh, especially in the latter years of his term here in Philadelphia. So, That's where he's going. Is he going to continue to live in this area? 
or is he going to move to Cincinnati? I, I don't know. He's probably moving, but that's, <laughs> again, that's just a guess. He hasn't uh, told us that yet. Let's just fast forward a couple of years from now, and we're looking at the Philadelphia School District in, say, 2024. What are some of the long-term and even short-term effects that a productive school district could have on this city if the right person is brought in? Wow, uh, that's certainly a big-picture question. I mean, education is at the heart of everything, and it affects everything from the economy to the the crime rate to the, the basic quality of living. So you certainly want a populace that is educated, that knows civics, that knows science, that is employable. So there are, I mean, education is at the heart of everything that should be done in a well-functioning city. If students learn and are able to be employed and prosper in society, that's what <laughs> that's what public education is all about. That's a rambling answer, but uh, but it, it it is at the heart of everything. Mike, you you do a great job as always covering all things education around here. But what else are you keeping an eye on as we go through the rest of the week? Uh, we're looking at uh, SEPTA. They are um, releasing a couple of reports on their bus network. They're in year two of a three-year redesign of the, the bus system in the city. And later on Thursday of this week, they'll be showing it to the public how it works and, and getting feedback. So that's what's on uh, my plate also this week. Mike DiNardo, thank you so much for joining us. He's KWW's education reporter. He also handles stuff with transportation, does a lot of stuff for Jersey. You hear him all the time on KWW News Radio, and we're always grateful to have you on here. Thanks for joining us. Your first time on the John Cast, sir. You name the John, and I'll be there. <laughs> thank you so much. That is Mike DiNardo, KWW News Radio. You can find him on Twitter at underscore Mike DiNardo, or of course, his stories are going to be on our website, kwnewsradio.com. That's it for today. I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Brian Seltzer. I'm Sabrina Boyd Circa. And we'll catch you tomorrow for another edition of the John Cast. Have a great Tuesday, and we'll talk to you then. <laughs>